Hey, it's Jay. And whenever I consult on a podcast, maybe it's a brand or an author or a speaker who wants some help creating a great show, it always comes back to the very same thing that both starts the show development process, can reinvent a show in motion, and also affects the production process, makes every decision that you make easier from guest selection, if you have guests, or story selection, from the questions you ask, the marketing you do, literally everything gets easier to create and grow around your show because of this one idea. And that is the premise. I think there's just three things that make up a show. It's the premise, the format, and the talent. The concept the show explores, the format, the execution of the experience and how it's structured, and the person or people bringing it to life. And for the life of me, I can't understand why more individuals and organizations don't look harder at developing great premises. I think it's because we believe that great ideas are found, but I think they're built. I think it's from a place of frustration with the status quo or the stale norms of a space that somebody comes up with a delightful game mechanic or a clever conceit or a profound purpose to the show. Whatever the case, the premise is how you say something that matters to the world and explore something that matters as well. The premise provides your audience with something crucial and often missing, motivation to subscribe. And I don't mean subscribe by clicking a button, even though that's the kind of word that we use now to describe clicking a button. I mean subscribe in a more traditional sense. I am aligned with your ideas. I am subscribed to your belief system, to the journey your show is taking me on. Whether we're exploring something in pop culture and making light of it, or it's something deeper, something more foundational to work or society. I am subscribed to your premise. And so one of the biggest questions that we need to be asking is, especially in saturated niches, do we actually say something that matters? Today's show absolutely does. And they do so in a very crazy saturated space with a really delightful premise. Welcome to Three Clips, where podcasters take us inside their process a few pieces at a time. I'm Jay Akunzo, and this is a Castos original series. Three Clips has one goal, to demystify the creative process behind great podcasts so you can feel more inspired and empowered to create the show that you've always wanted to create too. To help us today, we're going to learn from MBS, Michael Bunge Stanier. Michael, aka MBS, has written books that have sold about a million copies all told, including The Coaching Habit, which is the best-selling book on coaching this century. He's also the founder of a training and development company called Box of Crayons, and in his own bio says the following, quoting George Orwell, Autobiography is only to be trusted when it reveals something disgraceful. A man who gives a good account of himself is probably lying, since any life when viewed from the inside is simply a series of defeats. So that gives you a sense for what I admire in part about Michael, which is his willingness to wade into some really big ideas, foundational concepts about work and life, and certainly inspire people around those concepts without tipping too far into the trite, the vapid, the eye-roll material. He is substantive. He is practical. He does these things really well. And his podcast, Two Pages, does it insanely well too. As the name implies, he has people come on the show and read 
two pages, not one, not three, you guessed it, two pages from a book that transformed them, not their own book. And he does this to help stand out. That is the premise of the show. And it radically transforms the experience, aka the format of the episode, and it helps improve his performance as talent, as a host. So there you go. The premise, as we're going to hear, changes the format of the episode and improves or changes the performance of the talent. The premise is everything, my friend. So we're going to get into all of that and deconstruct the premise and how it affects his show. But first, let's meet Michael, aka MBS. So I'll just get started here. Mm-hmm. And can you hear me okay? Because sometimes when I yeah. hit record, it kicks out great. And you sound you sound awesome too. Great. And you look great. I mean, you just, it's, it's everything, <laughs> you everything. Know, you it, look great. You, you look, look great. marvelous, you darling. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so clarifying question. Do you want me to refer to you as Michael or MBS? Uh, it doesn't, whatever, whatever rolls off the tongue easier for you. I mean, I created MBS because as a name out there, it's it's even more complicated than Jay Okunzo in terms of a name that people can screw up. Fair, <laughs> in Bungay Stanier, it's, it's a mouthful. So MBS is more of my character. Michael is probably more of who I am in conversation. So wherever you want to go. Okay, cool. Mr. Michael. I'll call you Mr. Michael. Yes. Like a toddler to their teacher. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> so Michael, we've shared several emails. Mm-hmm. I am appearing on your show. Yeah. You are coming on this show. So we swapped emails got to know each other a little bit. And I've noticed something about your emails, which is you sign off every single one with the same phrase. You're awesome and you're doing great. Yeah. Why? Well, you know, in pre-times, I did a lot of facilitation. I'm really a, a teacher in many ways. And what I'm best known for, if I'm known for anything, is a book I wrote called The Coaching Habit. So often I'm teaching people how to be more coach-like. And the way I do that, I get people into small groups like pairs and practicing actually asking a question and then shutting up and listening to an answer. Because that's what coaching is, a curiosity is like, can you actually ask a good question? Then can you actually stop talking (laughs) and hear what's being said? It's a bit like being a podcaster. And one day, just almost on a whim, at the end of them doing the first round of four of these practices, I said, now look your partner in the eye and say, you're awesome and you're doing great. (laughs) And you can guess the response, massively awkward moment for everybody in the room. You know, people, some people liked it, but everyone's like, I got, you know, I think I might've even been in England. So it was even more awkward because they're like, we don't do this in England at all. (laughs) But then I was like, damn it, in for a penny, in for a pound. So I then the second round, I'm like, now look at your, your person and say it again. And, and the energy just went up a level. They're like, oh, I, I, okay, I'm over the initial embarrassment. But the fourth time, they're like hugging and high-fiving and there's this kind of this rise of energy in the room. And I'm like, there's something really powerful about that phrase, you're awesome and you're doing great. And again, on a whim, I kind of added it as an email sign-off. And weekly, I get emails back from people going, oh, thank you for that. that <laughs> you're doing great as well. And you're awesome. And this actually was really helpful. <laughs> and even people who like I'm in multiple emails with, you know, like the, the team that are helping me produce this new book, like Lorraine just emailed and goes, look, I know this is your standard sign off. And it still makes me feel good every time. And so I was like, that's great. The only person who really dislikes it is my mum. She's like, Michael, you're a Rhodes Scholar, and that is not grammatical. Come on, get it sorted. I'm like, you know what? It isn't true. It's not grammatical, mum, but it can have a really nice impact on people. So what is a Rhodes Scholar doing hosting a podcast? 
Uh, well, you know, there are some Rhodes Scholars who are destined to rule the world, <laughs> become presidents or governors or, or whatever it might be. And then there are other Rhodes Scholars who are like me, <laughs> who aren't, aren't quite wired like that. You know, part of the reason I listen to, to both of your podcasts is I am looking to express the best version of myself and go, how do I best serve the world? I mean, the, the Rhodes Scholar saying from way back when is helping to fight the world's fight, which I think is quite nice. You know, it's kind of like, how do you contribute to the world in the best way that you can? Yeah. And I figured out that the best way that I can try and serve the world is to help people make more courageous choices. My way of saying it to myself is to infect a billion people with the possibility virus. Now, that was a phrase that was much better before a pandemic <laughs> hit the world. But still, <laughs> I like it because it's about ambition. Like a billion people is impossible for me to even imagine. The possibility virus is a way of me going, look, I can't tell people what to do. But if I can give them courage and clarity to make bolder, braver choices, then I think that trends towards the good. And the virus metaphor, Jay, was I have to get out of the way. I can't be in the center of this. I have to decenter myself and create stuff that spreads without me. You know, as I think about how I try and live my life, I come to this moment every now and then where I'm like, okay, <laughs> I've just done the last thing. What's my best guess at the project that will move this bigger vision of mine forward? And sometimes it's a book and sometimes it's a podcast and sometimes it's about trying to have me grow and learn. You know, a podcast serves that goal. And it also serves a need I have, which is to learn and grow myself. There's an analogy that a lot of authors and speakers use. I can't cite just one. I've heard lots of people say this, but I really latch onto it. And when you talk to me about getting out of the way, right. not telling people what to do, it kind of made me think about this metaphor, which is ideas as or teachers as instructions or directions yep. or maps versus compasses. Right. And... A lot of my work dances in places that you could see a lot of peers handing out instructions or maps. It's a red line to an X right. that they're handing other people and saying, I went this way, you should go this way too. Yeah. You know, there's so many problems with that that I know you know about, Michael, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, first of all, if a tree falls in the path, yeah. which it will, there's going to be an obstacle you didn't anticipate that someone faces. Exactly. How, what, what are they going to do? You know, there's all sorts of problems with just handing out instructions and maps and directions. And so I'd rather hand out compasses because if you know how to find your true north right, and you know how to get your bearings right. in any scenario, then you can figure it out yourself where to go. And so I've always admired that about your work because I feel like you do that really well. Thank you. Well, part of the nuance about what you're pointing to, I think, is to say, look, first of all, the route, the GPS route that you're typing into Google Maps, it works if you're trying to get to your nearest coffee shop. But it doesn't work if you're trying to get to something more ambitious and more human and more complex. But here's the other thing. What a map does over a compass, I think, is it puts an emphasis on the journey rather than the goal. I'll get this slightly wrong, Jay, but here's how I've taken your message. Stop worrying about creating a popular podcast, but create somebody's favorite podcast. Yeah. That points to me to a, a way of showing up on the journey rather than obsessing about a goal. And it's about how do I travel, not what's the end point that I'm trying to get to. I, I do feel that same vibe specifically in your show. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, there is a very obvious conceit. There's, a, there's an obvious premise or hook with two pages. Yeah. How did you come up with that? And why is that something that unlocks greater 
creativity or teachable moments or inspiration for people? Well, I mean, you and I are going to be violently agreeing about this because, you know, I started doing podcasts like a long time ago. Like I think in 2009, I started doing something called the Great Work Interviews because the word podcast wasn't even around. <laughs> and I did like 350 or 400 interviews with interesting people. And it was a format that is really familiar today. It's me talking to somebody for 25 to 40 minutes, typically centered around a book that they've written or, or something that, that they want to stand on. And I would serve them questions and they get to kind of teach and explain who they are and what their book is. And I liked that a lot for a while. And then I got a bit bored with it. And then I found myself phoning it in. I'm like, oh my God, I'm talking to Jay in half an hour. I haven't read his book. I don't even know what his book is. So I'd go into Amazon and I'd look into the read it now bit and I'd scan the index. And I'm like, okay, I've got some ideas of what it is. And <laughs> I've read the first three pages through the free Amazon accessibility thing. I can wing it from there. And I also discovered I wasn't sure who I was inviting onto the show or why I was inviting onto the show. I got a bit bored. Mm. It also became the easiest way for anybody to do a podcast. Yeah, Come on my show and we'll do an interview. So I'm like, I need two things. I need this to be interesting and challenging for me. And I need to disrupt my guests often who have talking points. So this is a more interesting conversation to them as well. You know, there's that great quote from Emily Dickinson, which is like, tell the truth, but tell it slant. Like, I want to come at the truth slant. So two pages does a couple of things. It forces the person who I'm talking to, the guest I'm trying to talk to, to think differently about what they're going to bring rather than the usual stuff that they talk about. And part of what I love about it is so often when I, <laughs> when I go, tell, tell, what, what book did you choose? And they're like, oh my God, it was so hard. They've had some real kind of investment in the conversation because they've had to think about the book they're going to bring and then the two pages that they're going to bring. Right. The second thing that it does is I don't know what the two pages are that they're going to read. So it forces me to be very present to the conversation and to stretch and grow me as somebody who is trying to interview them because I have to engage with ideas in the moment. It's like me on a bit of a tightrope going, I have to be the very best version of myself to make this conversation intriguing and engaging for them and for me. And this is the third thing. It gives me permission to really curate who I want to be on the show. You know, occasionally you go out for a dinner party, again, kind of pre-COVID times. And sometimes if you're sitting in a dinner party, you're like, you're next to somebody and they're perfectly pleasant. <laughs> but at the end of the evening, you're like, I never need to talk to this person again. <laughs> like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I know how to ask good questions. They had a great conversation. I had an okay conversation. And then occasionally you sit next to somebody and you're like, oh my God, that was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that was just like a really good conversation. That's who I'm trying to invite on this show. I'm like, I'm taking my best guess at somebody who I would be stoked to sit next to at a dinner party. They engage in ideas and they've got some eloquence and they're going to bring in a topic that I don't know about mostly because they're reading a book that I've never read before. So it just gives me a chance to go, that was just an outstanding conversation. Let's get into, let's actually hear it. Let's, let's listen to it together. So our, our, all of our clips today are pulled from the same episode. It's called How to Remember and How to Forget with Scott A. Small, author of Forgetting. This was a great chat. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it, I mean, I've listened to a lot of your show and I think I could tell you were really enjoying it in the moment too. Yeah. In the episode, I should caveat, I said, you know, who's, I said, it's Scott A. Small. This is like, like why your show is great and layered. The guest is Scott A. Small, author of Forgetting. But also the next detail, Scott reads from a different book, obviously not his own, called Funes and Memorias. 
Before we hear the clip, what can you tell us about Scott A. Small? He is a, an academic, but he is kind of the world's expert on Alzheimer's and and managing and helping find a solution to Alzheimer's. So he's very purpose-driven around that. But he's got a very interesting nuance, which is like actually forgetting. Our ability to forget is actually a an evolutionary benefit <laughs> because not forgetting would be overwhelming. And it allows us to keep moving forward and keep progressing. All right. Well, with that, let's hear the clip. It comes from about four or so minutes into this episode. Mm. But the other thing, and if you don't mind me uh, mentioning the book, Michael, in the book, oh, I do talk about how my patients have taught me a lot, and I dedicate my this book to them. One of the things they've taught me is that we live in an information-rich world. We mm -hmm. all uh, obsess over trying to retain and recall information. And my patients, particularly in the earliest stages of disease who um, of Alzheimer's, who actually lose that ability, they have taught me that it's actually not the end of the world. Right. They still love and laugh. They still they still go to art. They uh, you know enjoy art and yeah. reading and the sciences. They enjoy their families. So I think the the, the, the deep metaphysical lesson they've taught me is that we over-index information. <laughs> right. I, I do, Scott. Sometimes think about. You know, this concept of the beginner's mind and the power of coming to something with a beginner's mind and whether if I mean, am I just being kind of naive or kind of I don't know, rose tinted glasses and thinking that there's happiness in coming to things with that beginner's mind? I'm, I'm sorry, Michael, when you say beginner's mind, can you help me understand? Yeah, I, I think I heard it in the concept of like like Zen philosophy, which is, you know, part of wisdom is being able to see things afresh right. without the layer of history or expectation or right, future right. hopes. And there's kind of this this beginner's mind is the the seed for current wisdom. Yeah, that, 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 that's absolutely, yeah, that's really, very interesting. And not surprisingly, uh, Nietzsche also engaged in that, the rebirth idea, mm. that, that the ultimate uh, goal of all of the super man is to become a child again and right. a child's mind when i hear you do that first of all i hear somebody asking for clarification i'm like first of all good on scott because a lot of guests would have taken that and run with it and not wanted to sound like would have blagged their way yeah yeah, yeah. exactly it would have been a worse experience for your listener but also good on you because it can be hard to hear a guest say like what do you mean by that and you just <laughs> confidently went on to explain it other less seasoned interviewers might have been like oh no am i did i do something wrong like <laughs> there's a weird preciousness and i love your dinner analogy yeah because there's a weird preciousness or that's actually the wrong word i think it's like a fragility of a relationship between mm. the interviewer and the subject and maybe they didn't build rapport ahead of time or before they hit record that moment but for whatever reason it's like we don't want to do anything that confuses challenges you know, knocks them off their sound bites or whatever, but the great interviewers really do. And when I, I saw you do that, it was at once this like little tiny potential hiccup that you took in stride. But then moreover, by putting that big idea in front of your guest, he started tying into other things. Like he got off some of the book sound bites yeah. and started to sort of teach and be real. So yeah. I just, I really appreciated that technique. So this podcast is the first time I've worked with a producer. You know, before I'm like, I got some, I, you know, I'd interview somebody and I kind of slap some intro, outro stuff on either end of it and tidy up it a bit. This is the first time I've had somebody teach me to shape an interview. And it's been very helpful because 
Ironically, I spent 15 years with my book, The Coaching Habit, going, stop chasing the story, get to the heart of, you know, ask what's the real challenge here for you. So I spent years trying to avoid stories and orders like, get the story. It is about the story. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. So I've got to learn that. So the way I think about it is the first 10 to 15 minutes of the conversation, I'm trying to make the audience care about this person. I'm trying to find a way beyond their sound bites and into their humanity. So people are like, oh, this person sounds intriguing. Right. Well, why do you think I asked about your email signature? Right. I mean, there's right. this is a, you got to be proactive about this. It can't just happen. It can't be, oh, we connect offline and somebody goes, wow, this should be a podcast. This should totally be a podcast. Like, <laughs> it never works out. This is a craft. It has to be considered. Right. So I'm looking to find stories. And yeah. when... We don't do a pre-production call, but before I hit record, I will say to them, you know, it's like, we do a tech check and it sounds good. I'll tell them that it's produced. So we've got permission to wander and take time and pause. And then I'll say to them, look, I, I love stories. So if you see an opportunity for a story, tell me a story. And I love unexpected left-hand turns. So if you see something you want to pursue, take an unexpected left-hand turn because I can keep up with you. I can back myself to be with you on as part of the journey because I don't mind going, I don't know what you're talking about or I'm confused or yeah. this is really interesting, but can you say more? Cause I'm not quite sure what you're talking about. And that's so useful. It's so useful for the listener. So useful for you as an interviewer, but also for the guest, a guest like Scott, who's on the book tour, right? Who's talking about the same things over and over and over again. You know, people who write books generally, you know, that you can spot one of those books that like, eh, this should have been a PDF you gave away for free. But like, for the most part, when people have a meaningful book and a meaningful idea they're pursuing, they're the type of person who wants to be challenged, who wants to be mindful, and they end up being asked the same question dozens of times. And so when you do give them permission up front, build rapport up front, and then you yourself sort of drop in a little, what about this concept? Or have you considered that? Like it, it forces them to go, huh, you know, that reminds me of Nietzsche. And it was such a tiny little hidden moment, but I, I tie that back to your interview technique. I really do. So to the people listening, I think what you're hearing Jay and me go say is our premise comes out from looking at other brilliant premises and going, what's my take on that? So, because sometimes I think some people go, yeah, but how do I come up with the premise? And it's like, you steal and you adapt. <laughs> so go, go find some podcasts that, that, that you love and go, how do I take this and steal it or twist it or move it and shape it and hold it into the light in a different way? Because you might find your way into your own premise. I, I, the way you finished that thought was, was where I was going to head to of like, it's not just the stealing, it's where, where you take it to be uniquely your own. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to the next clip. So further in the episode, you know, the, the little bit of context here is that Scott A. Small, he describes himself as a brain mechanic. And so we wanted to play a clip where he's actually dissecting the concept uh, or premise, speaking of premises, of his book, The Aspects of Forgetting in the Brain. Here's the clip. So on the issue of emancipation, freedom, the easiest example and the easiest chapter to articulate, although it was the hardest for me to write, was on what I think everyone intuitively knows. It, it, you have to forgive. You have to forget to forgive. Right. You, you have to let go, right? Uh, amnesty. Amnesty literally means 
Amnesia. Forget it. Amnesia, yeah. I've never made that connection before. Yeah, yeah. Neither did I, actually. It's strange that I wouldn't have. So all this ability to let go and, you know, marital therapists have told me, because I know Mm. that I'm working on Alzheimer drugs, they say, well, if you develop a forgetting drug, call me. (laughs) My practice would thrive. So I think we all know that when it comes to emotional memories, Mm. we need to forget, let go. Um, you know, all these um, colloquial terms that are basically uh, code for forgetting. Letting go is forgetting. I, I, I think the other parts are more unexpected and interesting. So the issue of Borges's insight that we need to forget to abstract, to generalize, mm-hmm. that is a, a little bit, that, that, that's a little bit less obvious. And that took a little bit more work in the book, hopefully rendered readable. Um, other aspects of the benefit of forgetting are for creativity. Really, yeah. really interesting. And the most ambitious chapter, um, which I actually enjoyed uh, writing, I hope some readers will enjoy uh, reading, is how uh, forgetting and balance with memory helps us to be better citizens of the world, helps us with our ethics and morality. Yeah. And that was the unexpected uh, last chapter. When someone who is talking about their book talk so directly about their book. Yeah. What's going through your mind to ensure that it's valuable and unique and doesn't become A, too self-promotional or B, even if it's valuable stuff, things that sound canned? Yeah. So as I'm listening to that, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know what question I did ask as he went through that, because what I'm feeling in my body as I'm hearing that is, right, I need to get him off the book because that's a comfortable place for him and honestly a comfortable place for me. I can just pick up a chapter around that. So one of the things that I'm trying to do as a host is to be braver around the questions that I ask. So I'm going to want to go, how do I move this away from the idea to where he meets the idea in his own life? I actually don't know how I followed on from this, but I I want to say something like, you know, Scott, what have you had to forget in your life so that you could move on? (laughs) <laughs> or um you you know all right you're spoiling you're spoiling the third clip i was gonna play. oh am i yeah <laughs> but i could also go so you know how has this work made you a better citizen of the world how have you changed how you show up and you engage in the world because i want people to take a bit of a gasp and go shit <laughs> okay this is about me now how how am i showing up how, who do i need to be right and that's what i'm trying to be brave enough to ask what is nosy (laughs) what is personal what is vulnerable yeah so here's how i prep first of all i i have somebody on my team and i ask them to do an hour's research on this person look at their socials and pull out two or three things against each of their socials find a podcast that they are on and then i will spend roughly somewhere between 30 minutes and maybe an hour at the very outside reviewing that reviewing the book that they're going to read. I don't know the two pages, but they've told me their book. So I can kind of do a little thinking about what the book is and why they might've chosen it. And you know, when was it put out into the world? And, and so I've got some thoughts around that. And then I will typically write down 10 or so possible questions. And they're almost always less about the idea and more about their engagement with the idea. So it'll be things like, what was the crossroads for you when? How does change show up for you? Do you think of yourself as an activist? Is it really possible for this to work? So I'm trying to find the questions that take them to the edge where they're like, oh, you cheeky little bastard. All right. Okay. That's interesting. We're going there. Are we okay? 
I think one of the things that I can trust about myself is I make a conversation feel safe because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, I, there's no kind of gotcha element to it. It's like, I'm just really curious about this. Yeah. And I want, and I'm curious in the humanity of it, not just the ideas of it. Creating the environment conducive to a great interview, as you just mentioned, right, is most of the battle, honestly. Because if you are naturally curious, like a lot of the other stuff could take care of itself. Yeah. If you just told me the person's name, for example, I could probably create a halfway decent interview if I'm able to connect with you and create an environment conducive to it. But like I could throw out questions planned. I could throw out prep. Mm-hmm. I cannot, absolutely cannot do a good interview right. without creating an environment conducive to one, without having that that rapport. Right. So that, that rapport really matters. Amen. And I, I said, I, I promised I would say what I do. I do say, sure, absolutely, because I want them to feel safe. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I send them some questions. And of the 10 I send, I actually ask three. Yeah, exactly. You know, But of the runtime of the episode, that's maybe... 60 seconds total. Mm-hmm. And who knows, they might get cut even still because the, the meat, the greatness that they have to offer that I'm trying to put on display and celebrate yeah. is going to come from the follow-up questions. And that brings us to the third and final clip. <laughs> okay. Because it is one of your follow-up questions. All right. 100% of this last section, Michael was just setting up this third clip because <laughs> you mentioned that this is what you try to do. You try to ask how the ideas apply mm-hmm. to them and their world. Right. And then we also then talked about follow-up questions, and this is a follow-up question. So this next clip needs no introduction because we just <laughs> did 10 minutes of it. Right. But you ask Scott, so how do you forget? And this is what he says. It turns out one of the reasons for sleep is to forget. And I talk mm. about that, and that, that's why we're most creative after a good night's sleep. There are natural drugs or chemicals. So yeah. oxytocin something that was first found in association um, with, uh, with, with, with pregnancy and, uh, right. and, and maternity has now shown to be released in all of our brains uh, as we socially and physically hook up, quote, quote unquote. And that mm-hmm. oxytocin, what it does <clears throat> is it temporarily turns, da- turns down our fear memories. And if you think right. about it, we need to turn right. down our fear memories to open our minds to, to social interaction. So there are ways of doing it. And then finally, Michael, I hope I'm not too long-winded here. I know this is great, Scott. There, there, are, there are drugs, <laughs> recreational drugs, which I cannot as a doctor uh, recommend. But right. for anyone who's tried MDMA or ecstasy, and you mm-hmm. felt the blissness, and that's why ecstasy is called ecstasy. Yeah, uh, that is that bliss is caused by uh, your temporary forgetting of your fears uh, and your anxieties and your ability to really open up your heart and mind. So I think we've all experienced forgetting. Yeah. I think if you're asking, can I prescribe a pill legally? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. That's that great. was a great moment. That was, a, and that was from a follow-up question. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's interesting. I mean, I, you know, as I listen to that now, I've still got a hunger to try and hear something more personal from Scott around this. Because even even in that conversation, he's like, "Here are three clinical recommendations that that I can offer around that." And it's a bit human because of the funny thing about the drug piece. And there's a crossroads I find in these conversations where I'm like, is this going to be a conversation that is ideas-based or is it going to be human-based? And they're both fine. I just know that my natural bias is towards ideas because I'm a bit of a heady guy myself. 
And so I'm trying to counter that by taking conversations into that more personal place of a slightly more human wrapping around the ideas right. around that. So as I listen to that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that's, that's a fine answer. I do find that like your stories that you get on the show lead to the heady ideas in a very yeah. nice way. Like when you do get your guests to tell a story, whether it's a personal story or they're, you know, one from their research, but they're telling a story of a person. Yeah. On the back end, I find I'm learning a lot, right? Where it's almost like the theory they would have shared anyway is somehow more visceral. It's more right. palpable. I can hold on to it. It doesn't feel like vapor in the air. It feels like something they've codified for me, almost like a, a great teacher that shows you like how a sports car is taking a tight turn around the corner. Right. And then they're going to show you or teach the physics of it all, right? It's like, yeah. here's the visceral thing first. Let's codify it, put it in the real world first. Yeah. And I, you do that really well on the show. A lot of people flip it. A lot of people go, what's the idea? Tell me the advice. Tell me the insight. And then they ask for an example on the back end, yeah. which I actually think something might be lost there. It's, it's, the, it's the more common entryway. So part of what you need to have your podcast become somebody's favorite podcast is you need to have difference. You need to be going, how do I get people in different rooms, looking at different views, walking through different doors, even if it's the same basic layout of the house? That's not an overly complicated home-owning metaphor. It probably is. <laughs> <laughs> we were tempted to pull a section of Scott reading his pages. We didn't want to do that because yeah. we wanted to honor the intent you have for the show. It's much better if you listen to it end to end. We didn't want to you. you know, mess with the runtime or, or do any interior clipping and the context before and questions after matter. Yeah. So we didn't want to pull it too, too much out of context. We encourage people to go and listen to those moments. I did have a question, which is, how does someone like Scott, who is an academic, who is on the book tour... How do they change the moment you move into asking them to read the pages? Well, it, the energy shifts. Sometimes people are a little nervous about it, but often they're like, I've got something cool to share with you. And it's now about somebody else's book and somebody else's ideas and something else that has, you know, I ask people, you know, it's brilliant people reading the best two pages from a favorite book, a book that's moved them, a book that's shaped them. So move them and shape them uh, are what they're sharing with us. So it's in some ways a, a moment of vulnerability around that. And when they finish reading, I will ask some version of what's at the heart of this for you? You know, what's the spark? What's the golden thread? What's moved you about this? And it's an invitation for them to go, look, this is why of all the things I could have shared, this is why I, I shared this. So it feels like it becomes more personal in, in this moment. And in fact, one of the things that I had to learn as an interviewer is, and Audra, my producer, taught me this, is like, I was waiting too long to get him to the book reading. Oh, that's us with the clips. Yep. Because I was, having this, I was having this really interesting conversation and I was like, yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm 25 minutes into the chat. Now I'll get to the two pages. It's too funny. And she's like, no, no, you've got, you got, you got to pull the two pages pretty much within the first 15 minutes because they yeah. create the frame for the rest of the conversation. Yeah. I, I was kind of forgetting my own premise. <laughs> it's so hard. As a guest on your show, I was like, back in school where like you'd go around reading the same book as a class and you knew yeah. when your turn, you're kind of counting the sentences. You're like, okay, so <laughs> Bill's going to go, then Nick exactly. and then Maria and then I'm fourth. Yeah. So I'm going to read the fourth sentence now. I'm going to gear up and then yeah. you get that like eagerness that you want to do it. But mm -hmm. you know, that excitement maybe. And then the nervousness of like, I got to do it. And so you kind of like, you're half there for the first part of it almost. And I, I, I did feel a little bad. I hope hope when I hear my episode, the beginning is okay because I was so eager to get to the pages because I was like no, no, a grade school student trying to think about it. And, and, and that's where Audra 
does most of her producing is at the start. Like we set it up. So I do this kind of voiceovers post-production. I do voiceovers to kind of set it up and move us through and frame the guest. And then we get into the reading. So she'll make you look even better than you already were, Jay. Oh, thanks. I need it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Everything you've ever heard from me is just so highly edited that you just don't know how bad it really is live. (laughs) Exactly. To people listening, this whole thing has been a nightmare, this conversation so far. This, <laughs> we are on hour seven of this interview, and, and we need seven hours just to get 25 minutes of good content. We actually both <laughs> really hate each other at this point right now, but we're hiding it well for the for you, for the listener. We do it for the listener. That's right. <laughs> so our fourth and final segment, there's no clip, but we do yeah. want to look ahead on your show. Mm-hmm. You do have a set premise, right? And so it's a person you admire or a person you can learn from, a person you can have the sit down dinner with or drink wine with, yeah. bringing their two favorite pages from a transformative book. Yeah. You have that kind of like on repeat now. So yeah. having done three clips for a while, I can, I can tell you with confidence, you start to lose sight of like, why was this interesting up front? Totally. And you need to then find ways to reinvent it. So I'd ask you, yeah. what are some things you're trying or would like to try to keep yourself engaged, but also delight your audience? We'll roll out some new episodes in the coming months, which are a little bit like that. So I have this new book coming out in January. So I've got six episodes where I invite some close friends and I read two pages. They pick two pages for me to read from the new book. And what's the, what's the new book called so people can find it? It's, the new book is called How to Begin, Start Doing Something That Matters. So it's about how do you set a worthy goal, something thrilling, important, and daunting. So they're like, I like chapter six. So I'm like, great, I'll read two pages from chapter six and then we'll have a conversation about it. So that's a kind of twist on it. And then, you know, I, you know with my community, I'd like to go why don't you send in two paragraphs, read two paragraphs from a book that you love and I'll respond and react and, and, and refer to that. I think there's also a me reading two pages from other people's books and just doing a kind of solo riff around these are why these two pages matter to me. So there's a basic sense, which is find an interesting idea, react to it in some way. And there's different ways that those basic ideas can come in. I want to champion books because I love books and I want other people to to read and love books like I do. But I do think there's some options for a variety around that. And we're getting a little bit of some of the guests I've had are people who've also had their books read by other guests. So I'm like, maybe there's a, a way I can invite both of those people on as guests and they can talk about how their ideas have melded and kind of come together. Awesome. Michael, aka MBS. Thank you so much for what you do, for your generosity, for having such a great premise and staying close to that premise. Whether or not it's in the first 15 minutes, your producer will decide. But (laughs) the show is Two Pages with MBS. The book, How to Begin, comes out in the new year in early 2022. Mm -hmm. Please check out both. They're well worth your time. Michael, thank you so much. Jay, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all our episodes on our website and support the show by sending a friend there. The site is threeclipspodcast.com. This episode was produced by Jude Brewer with original music from Tyler Litwin. My work, including my podcast, Unthinkable, Stories to Inspire Creativity, can be found at jayacunzo.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos owns and operates this show for a very specific reason, which is they believe something powerful about podcasting. It is about depth and resonance, connecting deeply with your audience, whether you're a marketer talking to prospective customers, existing customers, maybe your team, or you're a creator who has any number of types of audiences, but you'd like to serve them better than a lot of other projects might be able to do. 
And so as a result, Castos has developed tools for two purposes, public podcasts to grow your audience and private podcasts to provide exclusive content to that audience. You can start your free trial today, no credit card or anything required. You just sign up and begin using their tools. It plugs in neatly to other programs you might use, other platforms like WordPress is where they got their start. But essentially, you can make Castos the center of your audio universe. Check them out at castos.com. That's C-A-S-T-O-S dot com. And now our bonus segment where every episode we ask the guest for a podcast they'd shout out that isn't at the top of the charts. It's a show they'd recommend to us because they just want to show some love to it. They think it's great. It's not famous, but it's great. We call this segment Play It Forward. So I almost went with a couple of shows that I just think do a very good job about acknowledging their their community. So there's a there's um, a BBC show called The Curious Cases of Rutherford and Fry, which is a science podcast, and the and the audience is called the Curios, and they do a brilliant job. And then there's another podcast called Dear Hank and John, so John Green and Hank Green, who are authors, and it's about uh, dubious advice in response to readers readers questions. Also, a brilliant community based show. But I wanted to get something a little more obscure than those two. So the podcast that I think is really interesting is uh, a show called Leadermorphosis. The host is Lisa Gill, G-I-L-L, and it is a conversation about the complexity of leadership. Leadership is often reduced to a kind of simplistic, follow these seven steps to become a great leader. And anybody who's done any attempt to be a leader knows that that's all bollocks. <laughs> so uh, Lisa has a way of curating some very interesting thinkers at the very edge of what, where leadership meets complexity, meets human-centered organizations. Um, so that is Leadermorphosis hosted by Lisa Gill. All right, that's it for this episode. I'm Jay Akonzo. And as always, I believe making meaningful shows is not about who arrives. It's about who stays. It's about the retention of audience, the resonance with them, the loyalty, the passionate fans. That is the only way we succeed making shows. It's about who stays. So thank you so much for staying with me. And I'll talk to you every Monday with a brand new episode of the show. Until then, keep making what matters. See ya.